Now, let me just say this with all transparency. I, I'm about that life. All right, I'm about that Christmas life. Okay, I love every part of Christmas, and, uh, and it's exciting to me. I love the buildup and the anticipation of Christmas. I love the music and the movies and the festivities and hanging out with friends and being near family and all of the fun that happens over the course of the month of December. I look forward to all of it, but this is what I've realized. I've realized that there is actually a problem to Christmas or could be a problem to Christmas, and this is the problem, is that sometimes... There are so many good things happening that we forget about the most important thing. And so what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks as we launch this brand new series beginning today is we are going to look look ahead to Christmas and make sure that we don't lose sight of what matters most in all of this. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to begin a new series called The Gift, and we're going to be looking at the three gifts that were given to Jesus by the wise men. And, uh, and our heart behind this series is to focus and to prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited that we'll get to do that. And, uh, and just to give a little bit of context as we jump into the series today, some of you may be aware of some of these details, maybe not. But, uh, but many of you know that Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem, which was located in Judea. And during that time, the king of Judea was a guy named King Herod. And Jesus was visited by uh, some wise men. And they brought Jesus gifts. They traveled long distances to find him. And, uh, and this is the, the reality is that we don't know a lot about the wise men. In fact, I'm going to say something that may shatter everything you ever believed about Christmas. But did you know that there, that there weren't actually three wise men? I literally, look at the silence. Okay, the Bible actually does not tell us how many wise men there were. And if you have, have uh, bought into the fake news of three, three wise men, uh, you're not al- alone. Uh, the Smithsonian, I saw this a Smith, oh, Smithsonian article this morning, or uh, this week, talking about the three wise men at Christmas. So it's not your fault. Uh, it was fake news, and, uh, and, and, but we're going to get it all straight now. Uh, but the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about the wise men, but there are a few things that we do know about them. We know, number one, that they were highly educated. Number two, we know that they were wealthy. And three, maybe more important than any of those things, is we, knew, we know that they were desperate to meet Jesus. And so this is where we pick up, pick up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. It says, when they, the wise men... When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we're told in other accounts of of this experience that these men uh, traveled from the east. They saw a star. They followed the star. And when they saw Jesus, they bowed down and worshipped. And in this particular passage, it tells us that they brought Jesus uh, these gifts. Now, what is interesting about the gifts that, uh, that they brought Jesus is that they are very different from the types of gifts that we receive today. They're different from the types of gifts that we received when we had children. When we had our kids, we got wet wipes, some rash cream, and we even had one of our friends give us a bunch of diapers with brown markers scribbled in it. And uh, if that may not make sense, but uh, it looked like a dirty diaper. And um, And all of those things at some point became valuable, but they were nothing compared to what these wise men brought to to Jesus that day. These guys knocked gift-giving 
out of the park. I mean, think about every important gift that you have ever received in your life. These guys checked all the boxes on, on those characteristics. Number one, what they gave them was so incredibly valuable. I mean, they gave them these precious, unique, costly gifts, and we're told that they were so costly that they carried these gifts in a treasure chest. Secondly, they were extremely practical. They were very practical. They were immediately helpful to the unique circumstance that Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, they, they were in. They were uh, extremely helpful, extremely helpful, extremely practical. Number three, and maybe most importantly, is that they were symbolic of the person that they brought the gifts for. These gifts give us insight about who Jesus, who Jesus is. And so today we're going to talk about the gift of frankincense. If we got anyone who's um, about that essential oil life, you know what I'm talking about. I see a few of you broke eye contact with me. Okay, I know who you are. All right, they call, they call frankincense the king of essential oils. And, uh, and it's really interesting how uh, you derive frankincense. And the process is basically, you, uh, it's derived from what they call a Boswellia tree. And you go to the tree, you break off the bark, and you allow for the, red, the gum resin of the tree to ooze out of the tree. You let it sit for several days in the elements. Then it hardens. Then you break off the hardened pieces of frankincense. And, and at that point, they're, they're suitable to heat up or to warm or to burn. And then that's how you get the, the frankincense, the burning of it. But it's interesting that... Some people have said that frankincense is, is like the Swiss army knife because it has so many medicinal applications. Uh, within it, there are antiseptics, uh, there are therapeutics, there's anti-inflammatory. I'm not sure how to pronounce this. If you have a medical background, it's anxiolytics. You too. Okay, you don't know what I'm talking about. All right, and, uh, anti-neurotics and a whole gamut of other medicinal purposes that come from frankincense. And so... It was this special, valuable gift, hard to come by, that was given to Jesus, very costly, but it was also very practical. I mean, imagine uh, the, the, the benefits of, of an ointment or a gift like this when, you are, when you've just given birth to a new child. But not only was it valuable, not only was it practical or helpful, but it was also extremely meaningful. Many scholars believe that frankincense was symbolic of the priestly character of Jesus, of the priestly character of Jesus. Now, there are probably some of you that are in here today that maybe don't have a strong frame of reference for what a priest is and what a priest does. And so I want to take a moment to try to explain that. And let me just say, over the next five to seven minutes, the conversation this morning may feel like too much, too many details, okay? If you get to that point, I want to challenge you to just try to re-engage uh, real quick, but I'm going to try to explain the concept of a priest and what that has to do uh, with Jesus this morning. So if we look at our Bible, we know that in the Bible is broken up into two parts. You have the Old Testament, also referred to as the Hebrew Bible, and then you have the New Testament, which is the New Testament. The Old Testament is the context in which the Old Covenant uh, emerged. It was the Old Covenant between God and humanity. And under the Old Covenant, the priest served a really important role. He was the intermediary between God and humanity. Okay? God and humanity. And he functioned in this role in two real specific ways. The first way is that the priest oftentimes would make sacrifices to God 
on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of their sins. This had to do with justice. That was the first part of a priest's role. He made sacrifices to God on behalf of the people uh, for the forgiveness of, of their sins. The second part is that he would pray for the people to God on behalf of the people. The first part had to do with justice. The second part had to do with extending God's mercy. And so why does that matter? Well, it matters because if we look back to the early origin story of humanity, we see that in the very first scene, we have Adam and Eve who were created, and Eve broke God's law by sinning against God. And when that moment happened, it introduced a conflict into the world that would exist as long as God and man existed together. And the conflict was between two really important things. The first thing was God's holiness in conflict with humankind's sinfulness. God's, God's holiness, humanity's sinfulness. Now, this, this is going to be a little bit of a hot take this morning, okay? Because most people in our culture, many of us included, do not like to think of ourselves as sinners. It probably doesn't make us feel good, may not be good for self-esteem, and in general, it is not a popular opinion. But this is what one person said. One person said that sin is an outdated term that parents use to get their kids to do what they want them to do. Now, if you are a parent listening to that statement, you know that that person does not have kids, okay? Because it don't work, okay? That's the first thing you know. But the second thing that you learn is that it is actually not an outdated term. In fact, it is probably more relevant today than it has ever been. And this is what I think is the disconnect for people. The disconnect for people when it comes to sin is that we do not have a firm grasp of God's holiness. And if we do not understand God's holiness, we will always underestimate the impact of sin in our life. If we don't understand God's holiness, we will always understand the impact of sin in our life. This last week, we had our men's group and uh, one of my favorite nights of the week, and one of the guys uh, had surgery on his back recently. And let me just say this. If you are injured or you have had surgery or any part of your body is hurting, do not get next to me, okay? I, my hands are like a magnet for other people's pain on their body. And that, that's what happened on this particular night. In the men's group, when you, we greet each other, we dab each other, all right? We give them like the, the bro shake, all right? It's a guy's party on Monday nights. And, uh, and so this one particular guy had surgery this past week, and as we came in for the dab, he saw my left hand reaching around to his back. And before I could make contact, he pushed me away and separated himself from me. And I thought, oh, it's going to be one of those types of nights, okay? <laughs> I didn't know it was fight club night. So I was a little taken aback at first, but then he explained to me why he responded that way. He said, I just had surgery on my back, and it's really, really painful. And it would have been impossible for me to understand his response if I didn't understand his pain. But once he told me, then I understood. And it's the same way with, with our sin and God's holiness. If we don't understand God's holiness, we will never understand why God takes sin so seriously. Hagios is the Greek word for holy, and it means to be set apart to be distinct, to be unique, to be different. And the Bible always attaches the word holy to God because God is different. And the Bible explains to us how God is different. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, 
and 9. It says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I like to tell people that I could play basketball. Now that is a subjective statement, okay? Because people also say Michael Jordan plays basketball. But there's a difference between what happens with myself and a basketball on a basketball court, what my capacity is compared to what Michael Jordan's capacity is. Okay, that's what this passage is telling us about God. He's saying, the passage is saying, our ways are not like God's ways. His grace is not like our grace. It's better. His justice is not like our justice. Our justice is flawed. His justice is perfect. Our love is not like God's love. For most of us, we operate with a conditional love. God's love is unconditional. He says his ways is not like, are not like our ways. And God's holiness is so far above ours that it makes him worthy of our worship. Okay, the difference, the difference between who we are and who God is is what creates the space for us to give God our worship. He is deserving of our worship. And this is a challenge. The challenge is that we understand how different we are than God. That's a challenge for us. But the Bible says that every single one of us has sinned. We've all sinned before. And the question is, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to sin? The, that means that every one of us at some point in our life have made the intentional decision to do what we want to do even if we know that it's not what God wants us to do. And for all of us, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. We made the intentional decision and we came to the conclusion in whatever scenario we were in and we said, God, I think I know better than you. And this is why God hates sin. It's for two reasons. Number one, it destroys our relationship with him. I mean, it, it, it just breaks down the relationship. It's like if you are a 49ers fan and then you see someone come in with the jersey of a different team. It hurts, okay? And I'm not, I'm not trying to, I, but it, it hurts the relationship. Okay, I'm not looking. Uh, number two, sin is the opposite of every good thing that God stands for, all right? It destroys our relationship with him. But the second reason is that when we engage in, this, in sin, it destroys the image of God within us. It destroys God's goodness that exists within us. And so this is the significance of the role of a high priest in the Old Testament. It was to bridge the gap between God and man. It was to bridge the gap between God and man, and this is how he did it. Number one, he would make a sacrifice for the people once a year to atone for their sins. And so this was a temporary payment for the sins of the people. It was called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, and this is how they carried it out. They would find it an unblemished animal, a perfect animal, and they would take it to the tabernacle. They'd go behind the veil and they'd enter into what they call the place, the place called the Holy of Holies, and they would sacrifice the animal on behalf of the people. And after they sacrificed the animal, they would then light the incense. 
And the symbolism of the incense is that as the smoke of the incense was rising to the ceiling, it was meant to represent the prayers and the cries of God's people rising to the heavens. And after they lit the incense, they would sprinkle the blood of the animal on the mercy seat. And this was meant to show the transition, the transaction between an innocent life for the guilty life. And after they sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, they would symbolically transfer the guilt of the people onto a goat, and they would release the goat out into the city as a picture that our sins, that the people's sins, were now far from them. Powerful imagery, and was meant to show the justice of God, the sacrifice satisfied the justice of God, but the goat running off was a picture of God's mercy, that his sin was now, the people's sin was now far from them. And this was the old covenant between God and his people. And I just want to say that that's it. We're done with the detailed part of the message. And if, and if any of that sound, sounded weird to you, and none of that has a frame of reference for anyone in the room, the good news is that we don't do that here. Okay? We don't do that here. I'm not even sure you can own a goat in San Jose. We've been looking into some chickens. I don't even know you can own a goat. Um, but that was the old covenant, okay? That was the old covenant. But the Bible tells us that we are part of the new covenant, the new and better covenant that came through Jesus. And so look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at what it says. It says, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. It wasn't temporary like the old covenant, but when Jesus is the sacrifice, it is forever, for all time. Verse 11, then it says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifice again and again, which can never be taken away, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. It is not a temporary covering what Jesus did for us. But when Jesus is the high priest, he sacrificed his own innocent blood for the sins of his people for forever. Forever. I have a friend who works at the car wash. And uh, they hook it up with free car washes every once in a while. But if I ever want a free car wash... I have to keep going back to that friend. And at some point, you don't want to overstay your welcome, okay? Overstay your welcome. And so I don't do it. Um, but I could, but it would require me every time I wanted a wash to keep calling or texting that person to get a free car wash. Um, that was the old covenant. Is that every year they had to keep going back and keep making sacrifices. But the new covenant is that we had one person who was perfect in every way, who made a sacrifice for the sins of humanity forever, that we, so that we would never have to make a sacrifice like the one that Jesus was for us ever again. And so we learn that Jesus is not just a distant Savior seeking out justice, but we also learn that Jesus is a high priest who offers mercy to his people. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. 
This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Some of you probably watched the Super Bowl this past year, and one of the funnest parts of the Super Bowls are, are all the commercials that come out, and you know that all the best commercials come out during the halftime. And there was one commercial this year that stood out distinct from every other commercial. It was different than every other commercial. And it was the result of the vision of several uh, business owners and philanthropists that wanted to have like this widespread national evangelistic campaign. And so they, they developed this campaign and they shot the commercial and played it during the halftime of last year's Super Bowl. And the title of the campaign was, He Gets Us. He gets us. That's what this passage is saying. He said, it says, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Can you imagine that? The Bible tells us that every pain you've experienced as a result of the brokenness of this world, Jesus experienced, experienced it too which means that he relates to our trials. Jesus sympathizes with our pain. If you feel stressed, Jesus felt stressed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane he said, my soul is overwhelmed. Jesus knows what it's like to feel that. If you are dealing with family drama, know that Jesus did too. When Jesus told them that he was the way, his family mocked him and didn't believe him and ostracized him. Jesus was conceived out of wedlock from a teenage mom, and it was scandalous during that time. Jesus lived in poverty. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted by the devil. He was bullied with his, by his peers. He was scrutinized by his community. He experienced the loss of a close friend. He was accused of things that he didn't do. He was betrayed by those who were closest to him. Every hurt that you have ever felt in your life is not foreign to Jesus. If you've ever felt abandoned by God, Jesus did too. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, he said, Eloi, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you have ever felt for whatever reason, at some season of your life, like you just could not enter into the presence of God, you are not alone. Jesus felt all the pain that this world has to offer. Jesus suffered a death that we could not imagine. And the Bible tells us that he did it for you. That in your darkest moment, God's love for you did not shrink back one iota. He loved you. And in your worst moment, he looked at you with mercy in his heart. And when he died for us, he transformed. He transferred his righteousness to us so that when God sees us, he doesn't see us in all of our brokenness, but he sees us with the goodness and the righteousness and the glory of Jesus. And this is what he tells us to do with that information. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. He says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That is the God 
of this community. And because he, tell, because he loves us so much, he says we have the authority, we have the ability to enter into his presence with boldness and with confidence. And there are some of you today that have come into this room with brokenness in your life because of your own sin. There are some of us who have walked in with a spiritual limp because of selfish decisions that we have made in our life. And God says, don't run from me, come to me. Do not come full of shame or guilt. He says, come to me because you're loved. There are others of you today that have come into this place with brokenness in your life because of someone else's sin. There's brokenness in you because of what someone has done to you. But notice that God doesn't give any unique detail for the difference between those two types of people. The same answer is come to me. Come into my presence. Don't run from me. Don't avoid me. Don't isolate yourself from me. But come near to me. It's like when I'm gone on a trip sometimes. And I'll just tell you, I'm a family guy. I don't like going on trips. I don't like being away from my family. I don't like being in a hotel. I don't like eating at a restaurant and I see another family with their kids having a good time and I'm over there eating a cold soup by myself. And so when I get home, there's just this overwhelming sense of love when I finally see my kids and I don't want them off doing their own thing. I want to be near to them. I want their presence near to me. That is God's heart. He says, come to me. Come with boldness. And this is what he tells us will happen if we do. He says, when you come to me, you will receive mercy. It doesn't say condemnation. It doesn't say judgment. He doesn't say you're going to receive this scolding or a beating. He says, when you come into my presence, you will receive mercy. And he says, when we receive mercy, we then receive the grace we need in a time of help. This is why Jesus was a gift to the world. This is why when we talk about Jesus, we call it the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It is good news for humanity that when we are broken, there is a solution to our brokenness that addresses it at the deepest level. And it's not behavior modification, it is life transformation. The Bible tells us that God gives us a new heart. And in the same way that frankincense is this healing property to the body and to the mind and to our emotions, God is the healing property to our soul. This week was so powerful. We had a group of our volunteers. I want to give a shout out to Crystal Merguia. Uh, she helped us to coordinate this really powerful event that we had uh, right across the street at Rosemary. I'm directionally challenged. I think it's that way. Uh, we had a, an event where, where we had the privilege of giving 150 gifts to children in that school who, are, who represent under-resourced communities. And what was so unique about the whole experience is that it was a little chaotic, it was a little crazy, there was a lot of figuring out going on, but every person who uh, was on our team volunteering, handing out these gifts, had a huge smile on their face. 
everyone was filled with joy. Do you know why? Because like the Bible says, it is a blessing to give instead of receive. And we had the opportunity to hand out 150 gifts to these little ninos that were so grateful and so thankful that, that we got to participate. And we made it look beautiful. It was like a store that we laid all these toys out on tables and they just got to walk through and, and pick a gift. And there was one little girl that was so sad that came up to my wife and she said, I don't have any money. And my wife said, that's perfect because it doesn't cost anything. That is a picture of the gospel, is that we come to God with nothing. And he says, it didn't cost you anything. It cost me everything. One time we had a little birthday party for one of our kids. And we invited uh, some of our neighbors over. They had kids. Our kids played with them from time to time. And, uh, and it was so powerful. This little girl had gotten my son a gift. And the whole time during the birthday party, she just came up to me over and over again. She was like, she was like when are we going to open up gifts? And I was like, well, we really don't do that because we actually don't try to ask for gifts during the birthday party, but we're grateful that you brought one. And I just said, we don't, we don't typically do that. But I said, when you leave, tell us, and then we'll have him go open the gift uh, so you, you, you can, you can, you know, he can give the gift receive the gift. And, uh, and so I thought that that had settled the situation, but she came up to me again and she said, well, when are we opening up gifts? I said, well, you don't remember. We said, we're going to open the gifts, but if you tell me when you leave, we're going to do it. And so she came up to me again and it was such a beautiful moment because this little girl was overflowing with joy because of the gift that she wanted to give. And she was so happy because she just thought, I know he's going to love the gift. And, uh, and then he opened up the gift and he loved it and he loved it. But there was like she was just giddy with joy. But that is the power of a season like this, is that it is so much better to give than it is to receive. And this is what you have to grab hold of this morning, is that the reason why we celebrate Christmas, the reason why there have been more songs written about Jesus, more pictures painted of Jesus, more books that have been written about Jesus, is because he came as a gift to the world. A, a gift to satisfy the deepest doubts of your heart. A gift to bring the deepest form of resolution to your life. But the challenge for all of us, and the question that every single one of us has, has to answer, is will we let him do in our lives what he intended to do when he came to this world? Will we let him? And so there are some of you today that maybe need to ask yourselves the question, what do you need God's grace for this Christmas season? What do you need God's grace for today? Is it a broken relationship that is the source of so much pain in your life? Is it an addiction that keeps showing up whenever you thought you've just turned the corner? Is it a frustration in your life that you just can't find the source of? Are you feeling stuck and you're not sure how to move on? Is there a seed of bitterness of your, in your life that you haven't been able to let go of yet? What today do you need to come boldly to God for? What do you need to step into his presence and receive his mercy for? Today, I want to challenge you this morning to do some deep work with God. 
And I don't know what that is in your life, but I know that every single one of us is fighting a battle somewhere. There's some part of our life where we are fighting a battle. And why not give it to God today? If that's you this morning, in just a moment, I'm going I'm to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to ask you to hand over to God that thing that you've been carrying, but that he wants to carry for you. I'm going to ask you to hand your burdens over to God. The Bible tells us to give God our burdens because he cares for us. And until we are ready to release those things to God, we will never know how strong and powerful he really is. And so this morning, if that's you, I'm going to, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And today, if you're ready to surrender more of your life to Jesus, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, we love you so much. And I thank you for your deep love for me. I thank you that you have a vision for my good in this world. And I thank you that you've loved me at my worst. And today I'm ready to hand over to you that thing that I have been clinging to for so long. Because I realize that no matter how close I cling to this thing, it does nothing to resolve the pain that I experience as a result of it. And today I'm ready to trust you. I'm ready to trust you with it. I'm ready to believe that you love me enough that you would send your son to die for my sins so that I didn't have to carry the weight of them anymore. Father, would you give me the strength to follow you in the days to come? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.